Welcome to another edition of the Minnesota Beercast, a very, very special edition. This is like an after-school special edition of the Minnesota Beercast, where you're going to learn some things. <laughs> you're, we're going to teach you some things today. You're going to learn some history. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe if not, we won't. If not, maybe you'll at least be entertained. We, uh, we are fortunate enough to be recording from Bachfest down at Shells, down in Newell. My first time here. Not my first time. No, this is uh, this is quite an experience. This is, is a really neat uh, neat place. I'm really glad we came down here. What's your What's your take on it so far? Drew? It's I mean it's just history. You know, it's so historic, and it's uh, I, I love I love old things. This is an old thing. <laughs> uh, no, it's really neat. It was it was a very nice drive down. Uh, Bachfest is just kicking off as we're getting started. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been going on for maybe about a half hour, a little over half an hour now, and uh, the crowd is already uh, amped up and and having a lot of fun. And the beers spectacular, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a great experience. I, if you haven't been to Bachfest. In my half-hour experience so far, I would highly recommend it. Absolutely. I've already got a couple beers under my belt, some, uh, some bratwurst as well. So Fortunately, I've, I'm driving. I've checked, I've checked those things off the list, <laughs> so I'm, I'm good. I'm golden. Uh, and, and to check another thing off, uh, off my fantasy list, we've got uh, Ted from Shells. who's going to join us and talk to us a little about the, the history of, of Shells and, and maybe a little history of Bachfest. And everything that uh, that you've been missing out on uh, of the history of the brewery. So thanks for joining us, Ted. You bet. Thanks. Good. So Good to be here. <laughs> let's let's start with the I guess the origination of the brewery. How did how did things get started here down in New Ulm? Well, the the town of New Ulm was founded by Germans, obviously, and uh, the initial Germans that came here came out of the Chicago Land Society. And they actually settled not in the New Ulm area, just west of here. And, and uh, we're probably underfunded, undermanned. And, and then there was another group out of Cincinnati, which August Shell was part of. And they heard about this settlement, and then they, they were sort of like the reinforcements. And so they came in, they moved the town to where it is today. And like I said, August Shell was part of that. He was part of those... You know, there was a group of Germans in 1848. They tried to overthrow the, you know, the monarchy in Germany and kind of failed. Mm-hmm. And obviously when they tried to overthrow it and failed, they better get the hell out right. of Dodge. <laughs> and, yeah, um, that's the type of plan that either needs to work <laughs> yeah. or you better have a good plan yeah. B. So, right. so you saw a lot of Germans, a wave of Germans coming in 1848, came to Cincinnati and was part of the Turner Society. And the Turners are agnostics, and they, they believe in sound mind, sound body. And I always like to think that beer was obviously an integral part of that. Definitely the sound mind part. <laughs> yes, there you <laughs> go. So, so August Shell came in, uh, that was 1856. He actually started in the flour milling business, had a little business, and then in 1860 teamed up with a brewmaster and started the brewery right here on the grounds. And the last piece of the original brewery is part of our office. And if you've walked around, you'll see that little section of office. Well, there's another one that was added on not too long after, but covered in vines. And so that's the last piece of the original building. If, if folks are here today sampling beers and enjoying the festival, is that where the, the casks are? Yeah, right opposite that. Okay. Yep. 
All right. So how was this property chosen? Was it just what was available or was it the near what Access was what the, was water? Yeah, yeah, what was Right. Yeah. In the, in those days you needed ice. If you were going to be a lager brewery, you needed ice because you had to age, you know, cool age your beer. And was it, and I'm assuming everything was a lager brewery at that point, right? Well, the, the, from the Germans that came here. Um, I think up in St. Paul, I think some of those breweries started as ale breweries. I'm not sure. Okay. You know, somebody would have to check into that. But um, so, so the lager brewers needed ice, um, in which we have a river down below, and there was a bend in it. And so we've actually got the old ice saw in the museum. And you can kind of see a picture. One of the pictures, right as you walk in the museum, shows the ice house and a little... Uh, trough running down where they pulled the ice up and and in those days you covered it with sawdust right and it would literally last till august yeah months and months months and months yeah it's incredible that the insulating ice. power of sawdust is yeah. pretty amazing yeah you I mean, don't think about that these days we don't, no. we don't have to worry about that <laughs> so so they we had ice springs in the hill so that was the water they used initially and um the one that <laughs> helps us now, obviously, in the Bachfest and some of those times, is that we're sitting in on facing the south side, hidden by the hill from the north side, where the wind usually howls out of. And I don't know if that was part of it, but um, so I imagine fortunate concept, fortunate yeah, circumstance. It was a picturesque place, obviously, and uh, I think that. August Shell's wife's relatives had land up above there, and maybe that was part of, you know, moving, you know, so you were close together. I think it was a sister or something. So nice. No, it's, it's, that's one of the things that we were, you know, I was telling Drew as we were driving down here, I'm like, man, you're going to love, you know, it's probably not the same now with all the snow on the ground and everything else, but um, the, the, the beauty of, of Shell's Brewery is, second to none in in the state i would say that it's probably the the most beautiful brewery setting that that i can think of in in minnesota um you know i think of of peers maybe and i think of um you know the the folks in wisconsin who are are doing some some famous beer that people run over the border to get uh or at least they used to on on sundays here from minnesota they've got uh, a beautiful brewery over there that's you know kind of picturesque up on up on the hill but there's i don't think there's any other brewery setting in minnesota that's as as picturesque as you guys have here you're pretty fortunate with with what you've been afforded and how do you i mean i i, I gotta imagine it's very unusual throughout the nation even to have a brewery that was established as far back as 1860 and is still in its original location still you know essentially run by the family that started it is how unique is that in the in the world of beer well there's yingling is older than us and um we like to there's like four sort of legacy breweries we call them the yinglings is the oldest and then we're next and then you've got straub and fx matt um that are basically still family owned family run from the from the way back how difficult is it to keep that legacy alive i mean oh it's a it's a <laughs> sure it's a challenge you know you have to and i when i look back it, 
we've been fortunate because there's always been a family member that wants to run the brewery, you know. And, you know, there's... Are you adopting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's been tough times, and, you know, sometimes the job of running the brewery isn't as glamorous as it might seem. Right. And, uh, but... You know, really to get through those generations, and now we're into the sixth, and then some of the seventh are on the ground. Um, you know, it, it, there's a hell of a lot of luck involved in that too. You know, right? Um, but I mean, luck and, and maybe strategic planning, right? Yeah. I mean, because well. I know Jace is definitely involved in things, right? And Jace went to what Germany for a while and, and learned to brew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did was that something that you had done? Was he following in your footsteps? Let's let's continue this conversation. We are up against a break. We will uh, we'll take a little a quick break here. Uh, recording from Bachfest at Shell's Brewery in New Ulm, and we will uh, continue this fantastic conversation, going over the history of the brewery and where it stands now with uh, with Ted from Shell's right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the Minnesota Beercast from Bachfest. Having a fantastic time down here in New Ulm. My first time visiting. Thank you to uh, Schmitty for helping set this up. And thank you to, uh, to Jason and the whole Marty family for inviting us down and, uh, and allowing us to, to be a part of this really uh, fantastic event that if you haven't been and you consider yourself a fan of Minnesota beer, it's kind of one of the must-do events, right? Absolutely. You, you, you kind of have to come down to Bachfest at some Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. Get yourself some tickets. Get down here. There's a ton of buses that come down. Uh, I know Drew and I have, have talked about maybe putting together a, a bus uh, of listeners next year. Yep. Stay tuned for that opportunity. I think We're that gonna... would be a, a lot of fun. We'd love to join some folks. Uh, come down and have a good time. And enjoy yourselves responsibly. Uh, have some uh, some brats and some beers and enjoy Bachfest. Yeah. And if, and, and if not Bachfest, just come down and visit the brewery. I mean, they've got a museum here. The, the history of this brewery is 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 fascinating. Yeah. And this museum is, I mean, I could spend all day, I probably will spend all day <laughs> in here <laughs> with little excursions to maybe get a beer at some point. Yeah, we were, we were talking about history before we took a break, uh, and I was going to ask Ted about some of his his personal history uh, with with the brewery. How, how did you come to take um, the reins, I guess, and how was your upbringing involved with, with the brewery, Ted? Well, I... I I always thought I would probably be back at the brewery, but I actually was. I was a gymnast, mm-hmm. and I was pursuing. Um, I was pursuing the Olympics, and so I really wanted to make the Olympics, and I got close. And then, and then, um, what was your specialty in, in gymnastics? Well, in gymnastics, you did all around. So okay. my best event was horizontal bar, but. Um, so anyway, I kind of in the, in the midst of that training. Um, my my dad had started because this was in the late, no early seventies. Tough time for small brewers. Yeah, really tough. Time. A lot of a lot of consolidation, right? Yeah, and closings. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the families, you know, just bagged it in because the, you know they weren't making money. You know, they were getting beat up by the big guys, and uh, and that was sort of the difference between the survivors and the non-survivors was that you had a family member that was willing to essentially work for peanuts tough it out to keep tough it out exactly 
And so my dad was toughing it out. And, and one of the things we, you know, we were trying to diversify. And so we started a hydroponic tomato garden. Oh, wow. And so he wanted me to come back and run that. You know, I had kind of a half of a chemical engineering degree and natural resources. And so, so anyway, I came back and uh, started in there. And then our brewmaster had a heart attack. And he was an old uh, grain belt brewmaster. I guess his name is Gus, Gus Schmidtke. And had a heart attack. He came back and he said, I'll work till you. He could train me. And so it was sort of like on-the-job training. Um, obviously, it helped to have a chemical engineering background. But right. So then I started in as the brewmaster. And then when my dad retired, then moved over into there and then replaced myself. So so your your Olympic dreams, did they kind of get shattered by having to come take the, the family reins? Or was it never really going to materialize for you? Well, I got pretty close. Yeah. You know, and so it would have been another shot at four years from then. I guess it was a two um, Which year Olympics did you get close? 72. Okay. So I was in the final trials, or made it to the final trials, but had an injury. So, um, And then I, you know, I made the U.S. team in 74 and did some traveling with them. And then there would have been another two years, and, and it's, it's tough to, to do a job. And it isn't like today's athletes, you know, that sort of get subsidized. And, right. And they're at a, you know way higher level than we ever were so at that time you're 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 kind of doing your own supporting yourself and your own training absolutely you don't have Wheaties or North Face sponsoring (laughs) you or however that works out yeah what what is it like in the in the late 70s business wise you're new brewmaster you've got is your dad looking over your shoulder what's what's business like at this point in time well, it was hard. It was tough, you know. The the big mistake all the family-owned breweries made was they they tried to make the same kind of beer as as the Buds and the Millers and the Schlitzes and all of them, and try to compete against them. And they had obviously the economies of scale. Right. You know, the returnable packages were going out of you know favor, and and so now you had to buy non-returnable stuff, and they buy much cheaper than a small guy can and so so you're trying to compete at that and then you know the advertising and all of this and and there was a time when you know beer had to be better if it came from farther away you know? <laughs> I, I whole, remember some of that yeah the local thing was oh, if it was local it can't be any good sure and obviously that has spun around a hundred you know 180 percent you know right. degrees and and um so yeah um, the mantra we hear now is local 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 absolutely. right drink local yeah. but it wasn't that long ago when it was import 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 yeah yeah you know absolutely. everybody wanted to drink and import i kind of grew up in, in some of those days in the you know the the mid late 90s where it was i mean there wasn't always a ton of of options, you know, locally right. available. I mean, no, there really wasn't. No, because in, in, growing yeah. up in Florida, I mean, the concept of of local beer was pretty foreign. You know, I mean, there was uh, foreign. I, I can't, I couldn't tell you. You know, there was a Florida beer that we ever drank uh, down there. 
No. Yeah, there was what Florida Brewing Company or something at one time up yeah. in. Was it Tallahassee? I know Yingling had a distribution down there, but yeah. that's that's yeah. about it. No, I drank a lot of Newcastle as, yeah. a, as yeah. a younger individual. Yes. A lot of Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> what what kind of uh, influences uh, did you have as a as a young brewmaster? Did you really just learn from the the retiring brewmaster? Did you seek out uh, advice from any of those other legacy brewers? How does that how does one come into one's own as a, as a budding brewmaster, Ted? Well, you know. And even to, even today, the, the Master Brewers Association was is was a tight knit group because it was fairly small back then because you were losing everybody, and uh, so I was always a member of the Master Brewers, and had some you know really close friends up in the Twin Cities. The uh, uh, Greenbelt was out of business when I was that, but so you had the Schmidt people. And uh, Hams was there for a while, and then they folded up. But and then the Hile- guys from Hyleman. So if you ever needed anything, they were more than willing to, you know, give you a hand. So I think that's an important point. You know, we we kind of talk about the, the the brewers of today and the the proliferation of the the beer industry and and the drink local and and everybody that you talk to. I mean, it's all competition, but. Everybody within the industry, if you're looking for help with something, I've never heard of anybody talking yeah. and saying, you know, I went to so-and-so and asked for a hand with something and I was refused. I've never heard of anybody saying something like that within the brewing industry. No, it's it's, it's, it's a very healthy industry in that respect where, you know, there, there seems to be an understanding that the more everybody succeeds the more everybody succeeds mm-hmm. you want your you want your competition doing well because mm-hmm. that means that you know they they're introducing more people to the concept of craft beer and the more more people that are going to be likely to go try your mm-hmm. your product mm-hmm. so let's travel back in time again to, to talk about some of the previous generations was would have been your dad or your grandfather uh, when when prohibition rolled around great grandfather great grandfather yeah, would have how been... did the shells survive prohibition <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well let's talk about the, the, sh- the what happened when prohibition came like yeah. what what is that like was it I mean you guys knew it was coming yeah. to a certain oh, yeah. extent yeah it um, I think. Back we see back then we owned a lot of taverns, mm-hmm. tied houses, right? Yeah, right. And we owned the building and the tavern, and then we typically leased it to an operator. And I think back then I I saw some records that maybe it was three hundred dollars a year, five hundred dollars a year, and but <coughs> the only beer they had was ours, of course. Right. That was part of the stipulation, and so. But we had we had not a lot of taverns east of here because Mankato, you know, there was Cato Brewing and uh, Standard Brewing. There was, and then so, but we were there wasn't much out west, and so we had taverns in you know Springfield and Sleepy Eye and Winthrop, and and uh, I think maybe even Tracy uh, way out there, Lamberton, mm-hmm. and so. Um, so we had our own taverns, but then once that whole temperance movement started, you know, even back in 1908, we started to see our on-premise business dip, you know, going down and down and down. And so you could see it coming. And then, you know, once it hit, we made near beer. So that was, the, you know, 
lot, brewery could either close, you know, um, make near beer, or like Grain Belt, I think. I'm not sure if they made near beer or not, or they just switched. Uh, yeah, they did make near beer, but they got some got into the dairy business and things like that. And so, um, no, it wasn't a pretty time. You know, no. nobody, nobody liked near beer. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> no. um, they, you know, the mark of a good near beer is when you spiked it. You yeah. know how good it tasted when you respiked it. <laughs> That's what people did. Yeah, essentially yeah. people bought near beer yeah. and added some, yeah. some vodka, some, some moonshine. Yeah, some yeah. moonshine yeah. to it. We are up against uh, our second break of the show, so let's go ahead and knock that out, and we will uh, soon be joined. I don't know if next segment or the segment after, but we will be joined by uh, by Jace Marty. Yeah, Jace will uh, be in here at some point. He'll be stopping by. And we'll continue this conversation with uh, with Ted from Shells, kind of going over the history of this iconic, legendary Shells Brewery in New Ulm. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Minnesota Beer Cast from Bachfest, from New Ulm, from Shell's Brewery. We're recording this in the museum, right at the moment. How which cool is, is this? Really neat. Yeah, really cool. And, uh, and we're talking history. We're talking Shell's history with with uh, Ted here. We're going to be joined by Jace Marty uh, soon. Uh, we left off kind of talking about prohibition, but before we get back into it, yes. we got to do some plugs. We do. We do have some plugs. We got to do some plugs. We're going to be at the Auto Show on Friday, March. 16th. Uh, we're going to be there Friday night from 7 to 9 doing a, a live show. Uh, we got some friends of the show that are lined up to come in. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're planning on going to the auto show anyway, plan on coming Friday night between 7 and 9 and come hang out with us. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, down at the convention center. The very next day, St. Patrick's Day, Hi. we are going to be uh, at uh, Hayes Public House yes, sir. up in Buffalo. Buffalo. Home of the Sansevieres. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. I think Sam might come out and join us. Sam Sansevier, our, our producer for the uh, Justice and Drew show in the morning. That should be fun. It should be a good time. So that's going to be St. Patrick's Day. Do we know what time we're doing that? We're going to do it be earlier early. in the day. Okay. Earlier in the day. And then I know the events kick off at 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, then uh, that's probably when we'll be there. Uh, we'll, we'll probably do it. Earlier in the day, I'm, I'm thinking 11 noon, something like that. Uh, okay. So I can, I've got other stuff planned in the afternoon. So. Keep an eye on our social media, yeah, and when we'll we hammer you know. out the time more more firmly, we will post it on Facebook and we'll post it on Twitter. Absolutely. And then, uh, of course, the Northern Lights Rare Beer Fest. Absolutely. Coming up on the 24th. Mm-hmm. Really looking forward to that. And if you listen to the show uh, that we did from the Groveland Tap, they've got a, a beer breakfast planned for that day as well. What? Uh, yeah. Get your tickets for that. Uh, what? Should be a another fantastic day that was so good yeah so that's that's your whole day planned out <laughs> mine at least <laughs> <laughs> all right now that we've got plugs out of the way uh and mark your calendars for all those events let's get back to it with ted from shells brewery we're talking beer history we're talking shells history the the history of of brewing and beer in minnesota essentially thanks again for having us here ted you bet when we left off we were talking about prohibition how did you guys survive prohibition by making near beer what was it like coming back after Prohibition was was repealed? Um, well, I know the only kind of story that I ever heard heard was um, that 
you know, you could sell beer at that midnight. I forget the date, but 12.01, you could start selling beer, and the parking lot was jammed. <laughs> people waiting, you know, to, to take shipments. And, That's um, awesome. You know, it started out as a less than strong beer. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a midway point between 3.2 and, uh, no, or... I forget what the alcohol was, but were they pretty strict on alcohol content? Oh yeah, back? oh yeah. yeah. Because you know the the feds oftentimes came down, and then you would test, you know, you'd have to test your beers, you know, or they would test them. And we did during prohibition get caught with beer that was over one half one percent, and so then we got dragged into court, and. To be honest, I think if we would have not prevailed and if they would have pulled our license, probably we're not here. Yeah. You know, um, because back then, you know, a lot of breweries, you know, I think there was like, I don't know, 600 plus breweries. That's minuscule compared to today. But right. back then, or no, there was over 2,000 breweries in the U.S. Only 600 ever reopened after Prohibition, you know. So... You almost had to be doing something productive, or you weren't going to lock up a brewery for, you know, whatever. What was the process for making that near beer? Is it just making beer and then watering it down, or is it just trying to... No, no, we would, we brewed beer that was a lower strength, so uh, if the average beer back then was a 12 Play-Doh or something like that, we'd probably brewed one like 8 Play-Doh, and then we'd ferment it out. And then pump it back in the kettle and boil off the alcohol to where you're down low enough. And then you would actually send it back down to the fermenter and re-ferment it lightly, you know, only with a small amount of, you know, fermentables. Mm -hmm. So you didn't get over that half a percent. So it tasted a little bit like beer. Yeah, I was going to say, what does that do to the flavor? Well, if if you've ever boiled (laughs) beer. I've never boiled beer. Well, you try it. It isn't very tasty. I think I'll I'll pass. I think I'll just drink my beer. You know, that was, you know, nowadays making near beer is, you know, there's a couple different ways. You can use a low alcohol producing yeast or you... um, you basically boil it under, you know, a vacuum. Yeah. So you're not killing it with heat. You know, I think it'll boil at 120 something degrees under enough vacuum, and so you, and then you can recapture some of the esters and add them back in, so you get something that remotely tastes like beer. So. How much demand was there for near beer during those years? Well. Not much. Not much. No. Enough enough to make a enough to make a living, you know, basically. But you know, throughout the, the lights whole, on. Throughout the whole process we were in the, we were we had the brewery up for sale. Sure. And actually had a ice company out of the Twin Cities that was gonna buy the brewery because, you know, we all had a refrigeration systems here. <clears throat> and then I don't know why, but you know, there might have been a little spurt in business, and so then they pushed it off, and then oh, we'll think about it a little later, and then they had to order this and order that, and and it sort of went on for years and years like that. And thank- I mean, prohibition was what eight years, nine years? Well, 1920 to 1933. 13, oh, 13. Okay, 13 some years. How many? How many? Uh, how, how many shipments of not near beer barrels? Uh, kind of left the premises <laughs> during that time. You know, I don't. I don't ever. You probably didn't keep record books of that. I'm no, guessing. and I don't know that. I suspect that 
if you wanted a beer and stopped out here, you could get a you know yeah. fairly full-strength beer. But I don't know that we ever, there was any sort of underground moonshining going on, you know, a full-strength beer. Sure. Um, I know the feds were here, all, you know, they were all over there. Not like today, you know, they, right. they show up. I don't, you may not even know the answer to this. We're asking you like you were there. You're not that old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, was the, do you know if the expectation was at least especially in those early years that oh this this will go away eventually this is only temporary or was it like no this is the new reality this is what it's going to be like and for who who knows how long no i think you know for those that closed i think they closed thinking that it wasn't wasn't going to last very long and then the more dragged on of course your machinery is Rusty and yeah, you know, I mean it was a constitutional amendment. I mean it yeah, was yeah, yeah, it was. I mean I don't think anybody planned on it being that long. Yeah, no, I mean once yeah. once things get adopted to the constitution, it's it's pretty tough to change those things. It's uh, it's not just. It's a, pretty fascinating that the one the one issue that's been like you know in in the entire history of this country uh, that 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 kind of came and went and 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 went through that arduous process, you know, uh, is beer. Yeah, well, <laughs> spirits, you know, <laughs> booze divides that, people that, and, and brings people together all the same people off their couch. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know, Drew, you wanted to talk a little bit more about approaching the, the modern day era. Yep, of, of and we are up history. against uh, another break. So let's go ahead and knock out our final break of this episode. Uh, hopefully we'll be joined by uh, by Jace here shortly. Uh, and I do want to talk a little bit more about the with what the uh, what the environment was like in that late 70s era when it was really tough to compete with a lot of the consolidation that and more coming up on this Bachfest edition of the minnesota beer cast Final segment of the Minnesota Beer Cast from Bachfest from New Ulm, from the legendary, iconic Shells Brewery. We're down here in the museum. Uh, we're going to knock this out, and I've got some drink tickets. <laughs> gotta, I don't want I don't want them to go to waste. That's right. all I'm saying. <laughs> well, you're driving home, so you just give them to me. That's right. Take I, care. I'll just give, well, you know what? They're good for broths, too. <laughs> Let me knock that out. So we're talking with Ted. We're talking about sort of the history of Shells. Really fascinating stuff. We could easily go another full hour on this show. Right. Uh, there's so much to talk about, but you uh, you started in in the in the early 70s, like when yep. you became head brewmaster in 78, I think. Maybe. Okay, yeah. And you had mentioned earlier how tough a time that was to for, for you know regional mom mom and pop family owned you know breweries with all the consolidation and all the big guys sort of coming into play. What was your strategy of being able to stand out and being able to differentiate yourself from you said earlier that a lot of the mistakes the, that that were made were trying to compete trying to just sure. brew the same type of beers that they were brewing what was your strategy and what did you what did you like to brew what did you enjoy brewing the most in that time well so when i started of course everybody had returnables you know and like I said, mentioned earlier, you know, when the, when the throwaway packages started coming in, you know, we, we did make cans way back in the early 60s even. Mm-hmm. So um, at a little time when we made the cone tops and the crown tainer cans, 
and they weren't terribly successful but <clears throat> so but but our market was primarily returnables and draft and like i had mentioned earlier you know that sort of local thing you know that that wasn't very popular back then oh you got to drink a beer from milwaukee oh you got to drink one from uh, st louis or whatever and so but returnables is where you made your money because you're not spending a lot of money on the packaging in the you know that you just simply throw away and so um when i ended up taking over i took over for my dad in 86 uh, but even before that, we started looking at ways, you know, like one number one, toma growing tomatoes to sort of diversify. But starting to look at, you know, producing a different kind of beer. And about that time, we also got into root beer. You know, started the 1919. 1919. Yeah. Um, you know, um, this sort of there was a little bit of anti-alcohol, you know, sentiment going along at the same time, and so. But so we started out with some export, an export beer, which, you know, wasn't 100% uh, malt beer, but it was a little stronger, a little hoppier, you know, you know, so creeping out of that, we introduced, um, we, we reformulated the Bach beer because <clears throat> for a while there, they got kind of lighter and lighter and, and it was sort of us, Leinenkugel was sort of the king of, of Bach, you know, and, and theirs got lighter and lighter and. Um, so we reintroduced that as a full malt, you know, beer. Uh, and then we started with the Oktoberfest, and then we started dabbling in the other brands, you know, introduced the Snowstorm, and we call it Blizzard Ale when we first started. But um, so we gradually got deeper and deeper into, you know, trying to diversify our portfolio. And, you know, you still had our local market. Pretty risky to do in that, in that era, right? Yeah, it was. It was. But, you know, we had a local market that was pretty strong yet. And, and we, we self-distributed. And believe me, that probably made the difference, you know, between surviving and not. Um, because we had this strong local market and we were the distributor. So you, you have that middle margin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but so we started, you know, developing different beers and um, and then teamed up with actually Merchant Devin in 1985 and then went a broader scale with our Pilsner and our Weiss beer at the time. And uh, and then the the uh, the uh, uh, contract brewing craze hit in the right. early 90s. And, you know, there weren't many breweries left to yeah. contract brew at. You guys did a fair amount of contract brewing. Yeah, because we were the first brewery. If you, There were nothing out west, and we're the first brewery to the east that people could brew at. Who are some of the, the famous contracts that you guys <laughs> did that people may not necessarily be aware of? Um, well, we did San Andreas and San Luis Obispo, SLO. And they ended up building a brewery, and that became the Fire, uh, Firestone Walker Brewery. Um, Schlafly's we brewed for, Three Floyd's we brewed for. Um, I just read that they're building a Taj Mahal yeah. expansion. Well, yeah. Kids are finally becoming something. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Pete's Making Wick a name for themselves. Pete's yeah. Wicked Ale was one of our first ones. Sure, sure. And uh, Spanish Peaks, Black Dog Ale. Yeah, so... 
Do you, do you see there being a, a future in contract brewing again with the, I guess the the mass appeal to beer being the way it is now, or do you think it's it's not gonna not gonna happen? Is it all being small scale production now? I, you know, I don't think contract brewing is a, you know, it's it's a for the the person that's contracting. Uh, it's kind of a stepping stone to get started to to build their own brewery and and I just I don't see it you know because there's so much um, you know emphasis placed on well this brewery actually makes their own beer and it's brewed here and right. it's sold here it's the romantic idea behind the the production and Correct. going to that yeah. location it's the it's the the mantra behind the the local local yeah. local appeal right yeah so I don't. You know, unless the whole industry falls apart, mm-hmm. which I don't think it does, I think I think it'll change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those that want to stay small enough um, and run a successful tap room kind of survive. But if you want to get out and slug it out in the wholesale market and you know an expansion into other states. That gets a lot tougher. That's going to be tough to do. It's going to increasingly tougher because every state now is, has, you know, a, a, 200 a, breweries. A, yeah, a growing, a growing craft beer scene. And so mm-hmm. you're going to compete for shelf. You know, you're going to try to distribute down in Iowa and try to compete for shelf space with every other Iowa brewery down there. That, that, uh, that's right. That's, it's, it's a tough gig. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with uh, with running a tap room and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and just sort of having that little, I don't know, 25, 30 mile radius yeah. of distribution. Yeah. If that's if that's what you want to do, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. There's no shame in it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it essentially has replaced the old bar, right? You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's kind of it, it's morphing into. How do you how do you feel about that as a as a brewery that I mean makes their bread and butter on pushing beer out to bars? Well, it's it's challenging. It certainly is challenging. You know, I even in New Ulm here, and, and I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm ridiculous in thinking that way, but I've always believed I don't like to compete with my local bar that makes know. sense they kept me in business through prohibition and after prohibition and I, I i'll never forget that and so you know we do a little beer garden on saturdays and then sundays but it's primarily because we have so many tourists and they they always like to sit down and have a beer and you know so mm-hmm. uh, sunday there's not much open and so that works fine but um and then the star keller tap room you know, we're, we don't have very long hours, you know, so we try to shut down so people can, you know, move around. And, yeah. And, and, and I believe that that's just what I believe. So. Yeah. And frankly, that Star Keller tap room isn't, isn't generally serving things that people would no. be able to find at right. a bar. Right. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a very specialty uh, <coughs> customer that's, yeah. that's going there. Yeah. A couple yeah. places in New Alms serve. And so, yeah. Yeah. So I've never, I've never forgotten that, and I'm always grateful for the, you know, the on-premise people because they. That's great. I mean, that's yeah. a great attitude to have, and I imagine it's, you know, the, ha, ha, having watched 
the the beer industry transform <laughs> over the last and seven, eight, nine years, ten years or so. I mean, how have you had to change your strategy and your approach to? I mean. I don't want to. I, I, the phrase that's coming to mind is "stay relevant," and that's not really fair because I think shells is always relevant. But you've had to transform a little bit as the industry has changed. What's been some of the the key moments for you? Well, I think part of it is um, you know just the expansion and the number of styles of beers that you produce. It's um, you have to sort of accept that. You know, you can't just make one or two styles and be really efficient at it. No, you've got to make 20 or 30 styles. And, and uh, you know, the smaller batches are less efficient from a packaging standpoint and so sure. forth. So, I mean, that's sort of the reality today is, you know, people like something new all the time. And so being able to offer something for, for everybody and, and something exactly. new on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite beer to brew? Um... You know, Oktoberfest, I like Hefeweizen. Goosetown is, is between Hefeweizen and Goosetown, it might be my favorites. No, he said favorite beer to brew. Is that beer the same as brew. your favorite beer to drink? Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming your favorite beer to brew is the one that's the least amount of work. <laughs> yeah. <What's>, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My favorite beer to drink when is... When I was brewing, it was pretty archaic, so <laughs> a long time ago. So. Anyway, so... Well, that was a uh, so. Thank you so much. You bet. For, for Thanks for having me. It's, no. it's yeah. kind of a crazy Appreciate day for you, so. and you were very generous with your time, and it yep. was a really fascinating conversation. And All right, we could go on and on and on. I'm sure, but unfortunately, we are we are within the constructs of a, of, of a radio show and out of time. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Thank you so thank much. You. I really yep. appreciate it. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Bye. Right. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition of the Minnesota Beercast. Uh, don't forget uh, Friday, March 15th, at the Auto Show in the Convention Center. St. Patrick's Day. Did I, did I get that right? I think it's 16th. 16th, I'm sorry. St. Patrick's Day. Uh, that's Saturday at uh, Hayes Public House in Buffalo. And uh, March 24th, the Northern Lights Rare Beer Festi- Festival at the uh, Minnesota History Center. Correct. All sorts of fun stuff coming up. Just stay uh, on top of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. We will keep you posted. And, and as always, have a wonderful weekend. And thanks for spending some time with us on the Minnesota Beercast. Cheers. Welcome back to the Minnesota Beercast recording this uh, segment of the show at the uh, Shells Museum for Bachfest. Pleased to be joined by Jace. How you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, swinging by. No, you guys, you Thanks for coming. Yeah. Is this the type of uh, type of thing now where like your part of the day, like the work part is done now that it's up, now that it's running, now that the crowd is in, you you get to just sort of enjoy yourself or do you yeah. still have a ton of work to do? I mean, dude, I, I still have the, uh, you know, the walkie talkie and, and got to kind of be on, on, on call, but um, yeah, setup was kind of the big thing, and yeah. and now it's now more it's fun just time. maintaining. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the mornings are always rough, though. It's loading in all the kegs. And, you know, what time does your day start for uh, for uh, Bachfest? Seven thirty, which isn't you know bad, but it's, it's not just, too uh, bad. It's more how late the the night before goes that <laughs> makes the morning rougher or, or better. <laughs> so for the uninitiated. Tell them about Shell's Bachfest. What is the, the need to know? <laughs> What's the need to know? Um, <laughs> uh, do you know what do you know what number Bachfest this is? I think this is the thirty second Bachfest. Okay, thirty second year. That's a good um, run. That's a very good I, run. Yeah, I mean, I kind of grew up with it, and it. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, we had John Hall, who was the editor of All About Beer magazine. I think he's now the editor at Draft. Mm-hmm. He was here two or three years ago, and he, he just is like. 
this is the most unpretentious beer festival I've ever been to, and it's awesome. I, I love it. <laughs> you come in, you have two options, and it's just like it, it kind of it brings you back with like you know craft beer and drinking. It's like right, kind of back to what drinking beer is all about. It's just like hanging out with friends, and it's very bonfires. Yeah, it's very Minnesotan, music. you know. And like, all right, it's the end of winter. Like, let's get out, you know, kind of, you know, just take Minnesota or you know the winters head on and and uh it's it's just a great time to catch up with friends and 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 you know have beer be more of the social element instead of like the focus there's no there's no rinse stations for your glassware no rinse stations <laughs> I mean, there's, there's lines for beer but it, they move quick and, and you know it's uh there's no glassware even which well, no, is kind of nice yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well but you've got you've got you bring your own glassware yeah. you could bring your which, own yeah. which i did i brought my own i brought my own glassware i see that what is, so is that a the, uh, i brought that from the the guest house bavarian hunter very cool i uh I'm a fan of, of some of the stuff they do. Uh, I hit the Oktoberfest every once in a while, so I figured I'd bring some of their stoneware down here. And it's it's a lot easier to get your your bock poked if you've got some stoneware as opposed yes. to some yeah. plastic. Plastic cup glass. is yeah, a little so, dangerous. Um, that's one thing that we haven't talked about is the uh, the poking of the bock. That's a tradition here at Bockfest. Explain what it is to get your your bock poked, Chase. Yeah. Um, so I can't. Remember, it's a family show. <laughs> uh, I can't point back. I don't think any of us can point back to this first year that it happened. But um, Bachfest obviously started very small. It was uh, it started off as a thing that my dad just had some friends over. You know, again, it's like a winter festival kind of thing. Like let's right. just hang out, drink some Bach beer, uh, and it's grown and grown. And eventually, we started having fires, and uh, and then metal rods somehow came out of the equation and which is something you can find in germany you know the 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 warm-up beers but this is you know kind of more the extreme where you have glowing glowing red hot rods um so we literally have we have five or six fires going big bonfires going and um a whole bunch of pokers metal rods that are you know getting red hot in the fires and you can get your beer poked and so we have fire attendants that will you know knock off all the ash and and dunk the metal rod into your beer and it almost turns your Bach beer into like a nitro marshmallow, like a toasted marshmallow, which yeah. I think is kind of cool. It, is, it caramelizes all really the sugar, good. like the carbonation just turns like this super soft and <laughs> um, I mean this year it's it's warm, I mean it's probably 40 degrees, but uh, a couple years ago when it was negative 20, it was almost a necessity to just scrape the ice off the top of your glass but yeah, it's, it's you know, just part of part of Bachfest that's always been around. <laughs> and you guys have some fantastic food, some some brats, <laughs> uh, some sauerkraut. I already enjoyed one of those; they were fantastic. Yeah, you guys Same have here. some some live music, and uh, I think Ring of Fires played once every what eight nine minutes. <laughs> it's, How often? It's become the uh, official theme song of Bachfest. <laughs> um, we've. Starting last year was the first year we, so the Bachfest boys, they've played all 32 years. Yeah. And, and they decided that, you know, we wanted to enjoy a little bo- bit of Bachfest instead of playing the whole time. Now we have Alpenstrino play the first half and then the Bachfest boys play the second half. So nice. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of ring of fires <laughs> <laughs> on the accordion. <laughs> so how, how, 
I guess, the, what's the consistency of the the Bachfest been in, in those 32 years? Has it been the same recipe all the way through? I know we talked to your dad who said that the version has changed a little bit over time. It had been a little bit lighter, and he had made some modifications. What's the, uh, what version are we on now? Yeah, so the beer that we serve at Bachfest is Caramel Bach, which kind of goes back a ways. Um, and we literally only make it just for, for Bachfest. So um, a little... A little lighter, a little lower alcohol than our regular Bach beer, which is, I think, 6.7% alcohol. Um, this is going to be a little lighter. Um, and it's it's something that, again, it's kind of being a more New Ulm-centric festival, local festival. Um, it was a beer that was very popular here. And when we, we switched, you know, kind of updated the recipe, um, we wanted to keep that the old recipe just for Bachfest. So we've, we've kind of maintained that caramel, caramel Bach recipe nice. ever since. Nice. Now, I know you guys are working on or, or have worked on, and you're rolling out a bunch of new packaging uh, as well as some, some new beer. Yep. Um, walk us through what's, what's happening with, with shells. Yeah. Um, so it's been about 10 years since our last packaging change, um, and it was, it was overdue. Uh, it's, you know, when we did that last packaging change, uh, you know, craft beer was in a very different place than it is now. Uh, yeah. A lot fewer breweries, especially on the shelves. And, and so... Um, we, you know, with with all the new breweries, you kind of you almost seems like simpler is better, you know, to, to stand out on a very crowded shelf. Mm-hmm. So we kind of a um, little simpler, cleaner design. Uh, but we the the overall look, we went back to our logo from the fifties, uh, kind of the old uh, script logo, uh, black letter script. I mean, we're literally looking at the the seashell logo. We call it uh, the old sign right next to us. But uh, went went to that kind of. Um, as you're looking at uh, that for our main main logo and then um, for the kind of the artwork packaging design uh, we were we get a lot of comments people like you know, when they drive into the brewery especially in the summertime it's like a little bit like driving into a fairy tale yeah um, kind of you're, you're this windy road through the woods and you come up on the brewery and it's uh, this old brick building and then the big house with the old trees and stuff. So we kind of wanted to kind of reflect that a little bit in our, our packaging, uh, a little, you know, uh, Grimm Brothers, you know, fairy tale kind of thing in a, you know, more updated way, I guess. No, I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, when we were talking with your, your dad, when we did his segments on the show, we were talking about the, you know, the the identity of, of brews and the the. the Drink local mantra now that you hear nonstop, kind of identifying the, the the brewery with the beer and the and the history involved with the the Shells Brewery and how long it has been here and, and been a part of Minnesota and, and the brewery culture and mm-hmm. yeah your your tap room is local but you know Shells is local and it's been here for for a long time I think that really resonates and I like that that's part of the the identity and the new packaging I think that's really neat yeah yeah absolutely um, that's something we you know as an older brewery you you got to try and find that balance between really promoting your history and who you are but also trying to be relevant and modern and and you know kind of do you think there's a danger in that in in promoting history people see you as not being relevant or not being you know oh not the not well, the newest thing or not even maybe not even really considering you a craft beer so much <laughs> i mean that's got to be kind oh, of yeah. a, a challenge for you guys right? yeah yeah i mean it definitely is and it's what is there? Seven thousand, eight thousand breweries now. There's um, twelve, thirteen thousand. <laughs> like in there's like in a million. Prairie. Next so month, about next a million month breweries. We're coming up on twenty-three thousand craft yeah. breweries. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I think is, and it's great. I mean, it's great for. for <laughs> <laughs> Good for the industry. Happy birthday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, as, as there's more and more breweries and it's a very crowded, um, you know, shelf space and, and marketplace, you got to figure out a way to stand out and what makes you different. And for us, it's always been our history and, and you know, our German style of beers. And what we have kind of gone around and around with is, you know, do people care about history? And our thing is, it, it, if it matters to us, then it matters. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we we treat it. That's the right way to approach it. And so we're, we're, we're very proud of our history and where, where we've come from. Um, but we also, you know, realize that you need to adapt with the times and, and like trying to integrate both of those, like being historical and traditional, but also, you know, still being innovative and, and doing new things at the same time. So um, trying to innovate with purpose mm-hmm. and, and, you know, make sure that it still fits in with what we're doing very cool. is an, an overall picture. The nice thing is... And I'm sure you, you've experienced this. The nice thing is about what's gone on in the beer industry is that even with all the new shiny things and all the new shiny breweries and all the fancy, you know, uh, packaging and all, you know, all, all this cool stuff that's going on, it still seems like quality is paramount. And yeah. quality continues to really set uh, set breweries apart, um, and and shells obviously. I mean, that's something that you've always had going for you, and that you're always going to to be known as is a good quality, well recognized for the quality of your beer brewery. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something we put a lot of time and effort into and money uh for sure and in, in, in quality control we have a very extensive lab um and, and a lot of good people there and and it's yeah. and that's quality, so while you may you, everything. Know, yeah. you, you may struggle with with the with the with the sexy new brewery that opened up you know or the sexy new tap room down yeah, the road we'll or whatever never, we'll never be that you know and, and 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 but you still you know it's like people are always going to know that i can go to the liquor store pick up a six pack of shells and it's going to be damn good for sure yeah. every single time speaking of of shells six packs and maybe four packs is what we should talk about yeah you guys have some new packaging and some some new beers yep um so literally yesterday we launched a, a new year-round beer calling it citra blanc um we was part of our sampler pack last fall summer fall uh it was we just called american pale lager but we uh had a lot of good feedback from it um rebranded it with our new packaging update called it Citra Blanc now um, and it's kind of a, a hoppier golden lager um, that we it's uh, you know more hop forward uh, not an IPA I mean it's, still, it's, it's a <laughs> lager but it definitely I think would appeal to IPA drinkers um, and again talking about you know trying to innovate with purpose right um, we wanted to blend our traditional you know using German ingredients German hops um, so Hallertau Blanc, uh, Mandarin Bavaria are two kind of the newer German varieties. Uh, and then in pairing that in with um, Citra. I think Blanc and Citra have a lot of similar characteristics, kind of that, that gooseberry, passion fruit uh, aroma. Um, and then we, we always kind of refer to as Hallertau Blanc as like the Citra of Germany. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's more restrained, a little more noble characteristics, some more floral characteristics, but I think um, they, they pair well together. So we wanted to kind of showcase that uh, on a lager, which I think has a nice, you know, crisp, 
clean platform uh, to showcase hops. So and, and fits in with your German brewing tradition, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, for us to come out with just as an IPA wouldn't really fit with our identity and what we're trying to do. So, um, but you know, coming out with a hoppy lager, I think is is more in line with what we're doing. But again, it, it can trying to you know adapt with the with the times and and you know still be relevant but still stay true to who you are so a wink and a nod to, to yeah. fans of of hops absolutely you know, so, hey take take a look at the logger side of life and, and see, <laughs> see what you think and uh, you're actually serving that over there right yeah we have a, a couple of years ago we started like a cast section or, or fast section fast yeah. is like the german version of um here, take all my tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got uh, uh, four different fosses. We have just the, the Citra Blanc um, right out of the tank, uh, the lagering tank. Um, our Kohlenbacher Export, we got invited to Urban Chestnut. They're out of St. Louis. They're doing a historic that was lager beer phenomenal, festival. phenomenal, by the way. That was yeah. really good. Drew and I actually enjoyed some of that with a cigar earlier. Yep. Yeah, and yeah was, you guys uh, were smoking cigars. <laughs> like, that would pair well. <laughs> yeah, <some laughs> chocolate notes with the, go with the tobacco there. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, it was it was kind of cool. We got invited to this festival, and you, you could pick from a list of recipes, and they're all historic ones, and it was um, – you know, definitely not how you would I would think would want to make a modern version of it, but it was just a all Munich malt and then a bunch of Kraffa. So it's like you know you get this bready character and then just like the roast and dark color at the end. So it's um, you know definitely an old school recipe. It's from the 1870s, uh, and then we aged that on um, ash from uh, Black Swan Cooperage. They do the honeycomb sticks, um, which has kind of a toasted marshmallow character. I think uh, thought worked well with it um keller pills draft with mandarin and bavaria and then bach on cocoa nibs so, so for something like that kohlbacher how do you how do you do that if you're just doing a small batch do you have like a like a pilot system or just like is it you know jace's garage homebrew system no, or no it's a it's a hundred barrel pilot batch <laughs> oh really yeah so it's just uh that's our it's our brew house size that's that's a pretty substantial pilot batch. Yeah, so we're I mean we're releasing it as part of our stag series, which is kind of our one-off yeah. releases. So, you know, we had an outlet for it, and and we wanted to okay. still be part of this festival. And it, and it again, it fits back to who we are, and um, you know, trying to nice do historic things, but also make them relevant and new. So when can people expect to see that? Uh, I believe we're packaging it next week. All right. So. Um, and then we always do we do a, a normal lab hold just to make sure it clears uh, sensory and, and micro. Um, that's whatever, say five days, and then it'll start shipping after that. Nice, look for that on shelves, and if and if you yeah, want to have a cigar with it, we we recommend it. Yeah, we might join you, <laughs> <laughs> or, as long as you have an extra beer, or yeah, or and a cigar. A cigar. Yeah. You should invite us. <laughs> you should definitely you're invite with us, Kelsey, at the at the cigar place, and you're a smoker. Like, oh, awesome. <laughs> well, here I got an extra Dan for you. Bridge, you know. That's for you yeah, to enjoy right. whenever you want today. Absolutely, and uh, have fun with it. And uh, thanks Smell for stopping by, man. Thank yeah. you. That was a Absolutely. great conversation. Yeah. Really appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate Fantastic. you guys coming down and hope you get to enjoy some more Bachfest. Yeah, we I'm should go get we'll, my Bach boat. I think we will make this a, an annual thing for the beer cast. Awesome. All right, All right. man. Very Thanks cool. a lot. Right. Thank you. Cheers. And some of my songs I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ear. I like beer, it makes me a jolly good fellow.